0: Ninth Story
1: Studios Giving story a voice
0: This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective Visit darkmyths.org To discover more shows like this one The darkness awaits
1: You're listening to The Private Collector Hang to your hats Things are about to get weird. Episodes of The Private Collector are heard first and presented ad-free by supporters of the show. To support the show and get access to episodes a year before anyone else hears them, support The Wicked Library on patreon.com forward slash wickedlibrary or through a membership at thewickedlibrary.com. Previously, on The Private Collector. Cartwright and Enfield Detective Agency had shuttered its doors under what they call mysterious circumstances. After 25 years of dedicated service to New York City, we was kaput. I'm wondering if I could talk to you about uh, Mr. Vernon Fish. I believe he was a volunteer here.
0: Talk to the librarian about that.
1: Okay. Where do I find this librarian?
0: The librarian is in the basement, and he doesn't want to be disturbed by anyone. So, I hear
1: you're asking around about old Vern. (laughs) The voice asked, chuckling to himself. You're the librarian, I said sharply, trying to regain command of the situation.
0: Why, yes, I am the librarian. But who might you be? I don't normally tolerate
1: intruders when I'm doing my research. I talk when I want to, see? If it's any of your business, and it ain't. The rest of the time, I watch. I see things. I go places in my head. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. I can see it on you. I can smell it. He crowed with a weird grin, and I knew I was knee-deep back in that weird shit. And now,
0: The Night the Bible Let Me Down.
1: The Private Collector Season 1 Episode 2 The Night the Bible Let Me Down by Aaron Vleck Sometimes, all a fellow's got to his name in the way of dignity, this is his willingness to stay out of the way and just bear God's sweet witness to the facts. Keep your butt on the bench, your yap shut, and mind your own damn business. That's the only call for that kind of fella. Name's Frank Enfield, and see, I'm not that fella. That's just not how I make my play. The librarian had allowed no rest and recoup after the demise of my, whatever he was, Leviathan Roman, and his partner in abominations, Vernon Fish. It all proved what I'd always suspected. I was bred close to the bone on that weird shit. There was just no getting around it. So when the librarian, whose name was never offered, nor asked for, showed me a bunch of photographs of a gang of dirty faces and messes of yellow matted hair glaring at me from the celluloid. Spidey told me I was wading into the deep end of the swamp. This is the Packard family, the librarian explained.
0: Family is too close a human word for this assemblage of creatures, but that's what the law calls them. (laughs) He
1: chuckled and showed a bit more teeth than I liked seeing. So, what, they got some book you want back? That it? I asked, nodding at what was, obviously, a bunch of mugshots. They were all handcuffed and each meaner looking than the last. Yes, it's their family Bible I want you to bring me for safekeeping. The librarian chuckled again, and if I didn't sort of trust him, I'd have thought he was up to no damn good. Bible? What do you want with a damn Bible? I thought it was Juju book she was after, I added, running my hand through my hair, and hoping I'd made the right choice to throw in with this fella.
0: No ordinary Bible, I assure you. Now this photo here shows the patriarch of the clan, Eustace Packard and his Mrs. Matilde. These are two of their boys, Danny and Ray Ray, he said, looking like he was about to upchuck. That's Hattie. The oldest girl. They're all locked up behind bars right now on numerous violations of public decency and the compound will be lightly guarded by the girls and a couple of simpleton offshoots of the family tree. Not sure about Tobias, Packard. Whereabouts unknown at the moment. He's the middle boy in a rare piece of work. You run into Tobias out there, you put him down. No talking to him either, I mean that. Things go like they should, you'll get in, retrieve the Bible, and get back here with a minimum of
1: fuss and bother. That was it. Simple enough. The family compound was on a small island in the middle of the Hudson River, and with most of the grown-ups on ice, it'd be a piece of cake to row out there under the cover of darkness, Roust a few inbred kids, make off with the book, and be back to the librarian later that night. So long as one Tobias Packard of Nebulous Report maintained his whereabouts unknown. They say a single event, a brief and isolated moment in time, so rare and beautiful, or so damned full of dread and mayhem, can change a man forever. Forever's a hell of a long time, but I won't be forgetting the Packards anytime soon. I did a few hours on a stool at the Huntsman, the local watering hole for the men of Hudson, when they could break free of the wife and kids, and I turned up a few odds and ends on the Packards. Hattie Packard had put her cigarette out in a friend's face for looking at her man funny, whatever the hell that meant. Tobias, incommunicado in the middle of the nine kids, an unknown number deceased, was 6'7 and well built for his size, and not too bad looking, as the family went, from all accounts. One guy said Tobias padded his pockets by servicing some of the local wives, who were desperate enough. But the others all laughed at that, and I figured that bit was bunk. Tobias might have to be dealt with on the island but I never went anywhere without my thirty-eight. I hoped it wouldn't come to that, but I knew my way around the business end of a heater if it did. That night, I rented a rowboat off one of a knot of tough old birds who hung around a weather-worn hooch dive along the river's edge that looked like it might get swallowed up by the river any minute. But there were a few old slugs docked there that looked like they'd hold up for a night or two and a couple of bucks secured the paddles, and no questions asked. I rode down the river across from where the codgers said I could find the island, and dragged the boat ashore, and hid there in the weeds, just watching and listening. There were a few lights, and I could see the roofs of some shanties through the bushes. All the trees hung thick with Spanish moss only about a thousand miles north of where it should by rights be growing. And the smell of it was rank and made it almost impossible to breathe in the heat. I could hear a bunch of racket, too, like banging on pots and pans and singing. Kids singing. What sounded like old-time spirituals. After a couple hours of that, I made my way back upstream, stowed the boat near the dive where the old guys were dozing off out front, and then went back to the hotel to catch some shut-eye. All I did was toss and turn. I couldn't shake that singing out of my head, and the look of that island and all the warm mist drifting through the trees filled me with dread. I just laid there staring at the ceiling. At first light, I got up and grabbed some grub at a diner near the hotel that serviced the working stiffs. 7 a.m. sharp, I was at the front door of the library. When they opened for business, I headed for the reference department to look up old newspapers and town records that might throw some light on the history of the island. And what I found was a doozy. The island had originally been site of the county jail. After more than the usual brutalities forced the boys in Albany to shut the place down, some of the former residents had bought the joint for pennies and moved out there with their families. The island soon took on a reputation for all sorts of hijinks. Hard women looking to make some easy dough, all kinds of bunco and hooch running like it was still Prohibition days, with the feds always at the door or on the take. There'd been a lot of traffic back and forth out to the island in those days, and tales of city slickers in $50 suits from Albany pulling into town in Rolls Royces and then rowing out to the island seemed to be the norm. There was no clear record of when all that shut down and when the Packards took over. If they were offshoots of that original crew or newcomers, the papers didn't say. What the papers did say was that nobody ever set foot on that island once the Packards took over, unless they was a Packard. Well, tonight, all that was going to change. Old Frank Enfield was going to come calling, and he'd be letting himself in by the back door. I slummed around the rest of the day, got some grub a couple of times, then headed back to the Huntsman to chew the fat with the guys. Nobody had much more to say about the Packards other than they were glad they kept to themselves and anytime they did come into town, it was just to buy supplies, get soused on real booze if they happened to be flush, then get into more trouble and end up in the can again. Around sunset, I went back to the hotel and grabbed my kit. Things I'd need for a B&E job. Flashlight, set of tools my 38 extra rounds just in case, and a good length of rope. The last thing I loaded in my kit was an old brocade sack with writing on it the librarian had shoved into my hands for me to stash the Bible in. The thing had a length of jute to tie it off with, and the librarian made sure I understood the thing was to be tied secure in that sack, and I took him at his word. Around 8 p.m., I jumped in the boat and rowed back out to Packard's Island. Securing the boat and myself among the weeds, I settled down to wait for the right time to go exploring. A heavy mist floated down the Hudson, growing thicker by the minute, as it sometimes does, and clinging to anything standing still, like the island and everything on it. In just minutes, I could barely see the few lights that burned through the haze. A while later, all that singing started in again, and the hair on the back of my neck stood on end. He must have carried on like that for hours, wailing out what sounded like gospel songs that just didn't sound right, off-key and such, and... "'beating on pots and pans and whatnot. "'Then all that died down and stopped abruptly. "'The lights went out one by one, "'and the island seemed dead to the world. "'I crept through the brush and mangy trees "'towards the low outcropping of buildings, "'shacks, a house, "'and the ruins of the old jailhouse. "'By then,' I couldn't hear a sound, not cicadas or crickets or nightbirds, just silence as thick as the mist. Spying what I took to be the main house, I slipped through the yard and almost tossed my cookies. There was smoke here, a lot of it. I moved slowly, taking it all in when I saw the source of that smoke I almost turned and ran for the boat there were holes in the ground a lot of them 15 or 20 maybe and the oily black smoke was oozing out of each one of them and I about choked on it I could feel that stuff clinging to my face and I tried not to breathe it in I thought it must be from underground tire fires, a strangely common occurrence in these parts, but then quickly changed my mind about that. Each hole was surrounded by a ring of fresh dirt like a grave or something, only the holes were perfectly round and only a couple of feet wide, like a manhole. But that dirt, there was something about it, spooked me like something had clawed its way out. I was about to make for the house, giving those holes a wide berth, when I saw something crawl out of one of them. It was a damned kid. A little girl, dressed in a dirty, ragged white nightgown. Something brushed my hand, and I cursed through my teeth and tried not to shout out. There were a whole lot more kids just like the one that came out of the hole. They were running through the trees, laughing. Then I saw a few more come crawling out of the holes. I was deep in it then, and I knew it. I steeled myself to get into the house, get that damn Bible, and be off that horrible island. Some of the girls, not one of them more than seven or eight years old, were running around me in a circle, holding hands, and singing what sounded like my name. But I couldn't be sure because my head was getting real foggy. I rubbed my eyes to see things better and stumbled a couple of times before bending over and emptying my guts onto the ground. None of this was good. I was beginning to think I was getting a taste of what the Bible might be all about. All the while, Spidey was singing like Dixie in my ear, and I knew I had to protect myself So I took out this little black cloth doll I always carried in my pocket It was filled with corn and sand and Other stuff Secret stuff With tiny seashell eyes and Black ragamuffin hair Most of it from my own head This was my juju doll My protection spirit It had been made for me by my old partner Doug Cartwright's mama Doug had been a Louisiana man born and bred, and was steeped neck deep in those ways. I took the doll in my fist, and immediately, my head cleared. And those kids laughed and took off running through the trees. I pulled my thirty-eight and sidewindered up to the house, and slipped in through the back door. There was no sign of anybody inside, so I crept from room to room looking for anywhere that might serve as a magic room or whatever this sort of mumbo-jumbo git called the place where they did their deeds of psychic mayhem. These were bad folk, the worst, and my skin was about to crawl right off my bones. I knew I had to finish up here fast and get back to the boat and hightail it for parts clean and dry. The mist outside was getting so thick I couldn't see much out of the windows, The house was a one-story sprawling affair that seemed to have dozens of rooms, each as worn and threadbare as the last, and all wound round like some kind of maze or rat's nest. I came to the living room, passed through there, and into another big room filled with books and papers and firearms that looked like they'd been sitting there since the Civil War. My army flashlight did a right bang-up job and lay down just enough light to see by but not alert any stray Packards that somebody had come calling with malice aforethought toward the family treasure. So far, all I'd seen was those damn kids. Nothing more than a pack of little girls that looked like they was living rough without any grown-ups around for years. The librarian hadn't mentioned anything about them. I passed through the second kitchen, this one with a cellar door that was busted off its hinges and in pieces. I saw the splinters hanging off that door were fresh and figured into my picture of things. Down the end of a long hall, I finally hit pay dirt. Behind a heavy door lay the juju room. The spirit digs. The temple itself. A filthy altar piled up with weeds and candles and a few bones scattered among a mess of oily burned up papers lay against the north wall if I had my bearings right. But there was a stench in there, too, fresh and heady that stung the nose hairs, and I didn't need my flashlight to tell me what it was. There was blood and gore all over the floor, fresh and just starting to muck up. Sprawled in the midst of it was the gigantic form of what could only have been the body of Tobias Packard, He was naked, filthy as the kids, and all smeared up with his own carnage. His chest had been ripped open too, and something had been feeding on him, and that was plain as day. I shuddered at the thought of the filth on all those dirty little white nightgowns. I remembered the Packard Bible then just as Spidey and the fetish doll in my hand started to hum, like the tabernacle choir, telling me to get the hell out of there. I shined the flashlight around, and there it was, lying near Packard's feet where he must have dropped it, in the midst of his incantations. Only, what in hell's name had he been calling up? Outside, something was rustling around and tearing up the bushes. And that crazy kid laughter was coming from everywhere. I grabbed the sack the librarian had given me and shoved the old Bible in it and tied it off. I made my way back the way I'd come, stepped out onto the porch and shone my light into the mist. The kids were just standing there, Watching me, I could see they had blood on them, even their faces, every last one of them. They just stood there, staring at me. So I slowly went down the back stairs and into the yard. They moved as one toward me, but wary-like. I raised my juju doll over my head and yelled at them to get on out of there. Of course, that did no good, but at least they stopped and didn't rush me. I stepped off the porch into the yard, taking aim at the closest of them. They all took off into the woods without a sound, and I lit out for the boat. Through the trees, as I ran and stumbled toward the shore, I kept seeing white things run past me, not making a sound. And I swear, some of them were. Flying through the air, or maybe swinging from the trees was more like it. At the shore's edge, I heard splashing and saw some of the kids in the water, making for the town side of the river. I paid no mind to that and jumped in the boat, book bag over my shoulder and my own kit slung around my waist. Then I rowed as fast as I could back towards Hudson. Hudson. Before I turned south away from the island, I saw somebody standing on the other shore. As I drew closer, I saw it was a man, and he looked for the life of me like the hermit out of the tarot cards. Tall, dark cloaked, and holding an old-fashioned lantern over his head that glowed bright as any star out over the water. He was just looking down Staring into the black depths. Then he moved, pulling a huge ice hook from behind his back. Then he plunged it into the water and dragged out something white with long matted hair and a dripping white nightgown. He shoved it into a sack he was carrying. Then he put that nasty looking ice hook into the water again and again and again, pulling out so many dead looking white things tying them up in his sack suddenly he turned and looked right at me that lantern of his burned brighter still and almost blinded me I had to turn away and paddle back towards town as fast as I could I swore I'd ponder later on the curious likeness of that tall dark figure to the librarian I must have dozed off somehow, because the next thing I knew, I woke to several pairs of rough hands rousting me out of the boat and dragging me ashore. It was the old coots from the waterfront shanty bar, the guy I had rented the boat from and his buddies. I got to my feet and looked the rummy old bird who owned the boat in the face and zipped my lip, pressing another few clams into his wrinkled fist keep his trap shut about my trip out to the Packard place. I wasn't going to take the rap for Tobias's death, but I didn't have any alibi for the last two nights either. I slung the bag with the book in it over my shoulder and headed back to the hotel. It was already the crack of dawn. The library would be open for business before long, and there'd be no chance to see the librarian before tonight. So I grabbed a couple of cups of coffee from the pot in the lobby and climbed the stairs to my room. I took a quick shower from the communal facility down the hall and then locked myself in my room to ponder a few things. Pulling the book out of the bag, I just stared at it for a bit. That beat-up old thing looked as old as God himself, and for a few minutes, I hesitated to open it, there was no harm in just taking a look, though. The librarian couldn't get his wig in a twist over that. Besides, how would he ever know? So I opened the cover and saw what at first looked like an ordinary family Bible. All the usual pictures and fake gold curlicue lettering. But it was the scribbles and rough drawings shoved into the margins that caught my eye. Every page had words scratched out in the text and other words written in. Annotated-like, you know? I couldn't make out more than a few words, but one word seemed to appear more than a few times. Angels and Angles, interchanged and appearing all over the pages. What the goddamn go to hell was this shit talking about? Angels? Why, any good books full of talk of angels. But what was all that Angles stuff? Spidey started squawking about putting that book away, tying it back up tight as a drum in that sack, and leaving alone what I got no damn business sticking my nose into. Right about then, I told Spidey to zip his lip. This book was my business. The librarian himself had set me to the task of retrieving it, and if I was going to be useful to him, going forward and all, I best know as much about his business as I could. After all, he was my partner, even if he didn't know it yet. Besides, who was to say I even found that book? Maybe I rode out to Packard's Island of inbred freaks on some wild goose chase. Some test or joke by the librarian himself, who I was still figuring out whether I was going to trust or not. Who's to say indeed, I thought to myself. Maybe I'll just keep this here thing for myself. Just study it in my own time and take a good long look-see. Find out what all the big hubbub is and why that librarian feller is so hot to trot to get his hands on it. Just maybe this here thing can be a turn of good luck to me and mine. Maybe I won't say a damn word about this book to anybody and just keep it for myself. Then I froze. Even in my thoughts, dark and private, those words had been uttered in the same backwoods drawl as my late grand... somebody... late removed... Leviathan Roman, who was by rights dead and all burned up in the ruins of his house. But then... maybe not. Maybe some part of him was still floating around in my head... I got out my juju doll and held it to my forehead, just as Doug's mama had told me to do when I was having thoughts I didn't much like. Sure enough, soon as I did, my mind cleared of the fog I hadn't even noticed seep in between my ears, and I was thinking straight again. I shoved that book in the librarian's sack and tied it up real good. Then I went straight down to the Phineas T. Crowley Library with my mind set on waiting there all day, if need be, for things to be right, and I could find the steps again and get down to the librarian and his knowledge of what the hell was going on here. Now, I'd always thought I had more than a passing sense for that weird shit, and I'd known plenty of magic men in my time, not the least of which was my own damn partner, current location and status unknown, Doug Cartwright, late of Cartwright and Enfield. He'd been a Louisiana man through and through, weaned on that old-world voodoo stuff. But what was going on out there on that island was like nothing I'd ever set foot in before. And while Spidey was told-you-so in my ear, I both had to know, and dreaded to know, the gears and pulleys behind all this Packard noise and what had actually killed Tobias Packard and left such a god-awful mess of his remains. And those kids, little girls, or whatever they were, I had to know. I spent the whole day at the library writing the whole thing up in my casebook, another thing the librarian had told me to do, and watching the clock. Eventually, the unbearable wait ended, and I hid among the stacks until the place closed, and then wound my way down the crooked staircase and stood, hat in hand like a schoolboy, and sack over my shoulder like some kind of twisted Santa Claus, and waited for the librarian to let me in. Well, let's see what you've brought me. The librarian boomed as I laid the sack on his desk, and then stepped away. Not sure I wanted to lay eyes on that thing again. "'Oh, yes. Very good. Very good!' (laughs) His eyes sparkled as he eyed the thing and ran his long fingers lovingly over the cover. "'I trust you had no unusual difficulties in procuring this little gem, hmm?' He purred mischievously. I dropped down onto the velvet sofa and waited to see if he was going to come clean on that Bible and all that stuff out there at the island.' and what I thought I saw as I was paddling away like the devil himself was tailing me. "'We'll hand it over!' he demanded, his hands on his hips. I was starting to bristle when I remembered. "'Oh yeah, sorry,' I said, handing over my casebook with all the details written down for his perusal. Hmm. yes, I see. Oh,' he muttered, staring over the top of his glasses.
0: "'Just as I suspected.' "'Well, that's good, then. So it was
1: Tobias, indeed. Well, that's the last we'll see of him,' he added, and then fell silent, his eyes darting over the pages. Then he slammed the Slender notebook shut and sat down at his desk, tented his fingers, and just stared at me for what seemed like a very long time. "'I believe there's something else, isn't there?' he said his voice just above a whisper.
0: Something you haven't
1: included in your accounts of last
0: evening's adventures.
1: Okay. Sure, yeah. I said, raising my hands in a gesture of surrender. I had some time to kill, so I took a peek in the book, is all.
0: A peek, you say? That's all? Not a
1: close read, and a turn from cover to cover, perhaps? I was starting to sweat. I was still none too cozy in the librarian's presence, even though I knew I had to stick to him if I wanted to learn more about any of this stuff that was ripping my head apart from time to time and calling to me like the voice of some hot dame, the kind you just can't say no to. Okay, okay, so I read it. I just figured, you know, if I'm going to be any help to you, I should know things, that's all. And maybe I got some funny ideas in my head when I was reading it, like I'd keep it for myself, amscray out of town with it, and let you wonder where I'd got off to, maybe see what I could do with that Bible myself. That last bit crawled out of my mouth like a tarantula. I had no plan whatsoever to admit to that part, but I just spit it out against my
0: will. Very well then, and thank you for your honesty. So you want to learn, eh? Yes, sir.
1: I gotta know things. Then what did you learn from reading the book? He asked. But the thing is, I'd learned nothing, and was just as much in the dark as before I'd ever opened it. Sit back and listen, then, and learn. This Bible started
0: out its career just as any other Bible. Printed up with cheap paper and ink and cardboard and sold by balding salesmen everywhere. But then it fell into the packets clutches, or Tobias packets to be more precise, and its course took a very sinister turn. You described the
1: cellar door all busted in? That's right, I said.
0: Well, old man Packard, Tobias's daddy, degenerate evildoer that he is, Even he has his limits, and didn't like how this boy was messing around with that Bible. He got a gander of what he was fixing to do, so he hit him on the head, knocked him down the stairs and locked him in there,
1: tossing food and water down there once a day. Jeez, but how the hell do you know all this? No, never mind. I know, your town, the librarian knows everything. I was getting the lay of this scene better by the moment. He had told me he needed me to procure things. Books. You don't mention seeing the Packard girls. Jenny, Katie, Marie, and Patsy, aged 14 to 16. He said, leafing through the book again. No, sir. Just those little kids. All girls. Youngsters. As I suspected. You see,
0: Tobias's notes talk about making angels and how the angle of things bones mostly determine the nature of the ones who get called up out
1: of nothing. Making angels? How's that done exactly? No, I don't want to know.
0: So, last night, the librarian continued, ignoring my question, Tobias managed to break out of the cellar, and he was very busy. Those holes you spoke of with all the smoke pouring out... Tobias had filled them with the flesh and bones of hacked up things, and I'm assuming it was Jenny, Katie Marie, and Patsy who provided the necessary ingredients. Our fine magician included all other kinds of material, the nature of which I don't care to mention in polite society. Then he set the holes on fire and went back inside to do his incantations.
1: Then he waited... Well, and, I demanded, my voice a little more confident than it should have been, and I kind of liked that. I was getting more used to this strange character, and was none the worse for it. And, you
0: came along and saw the results for yourself. Tobias Packard was a madman. Now, it can be said one must be a madman to do magic. But if you're too insane, you can't keep a hold of it, and it will do you in
1: guaranteed he explained with a grin you mean those kids the things in the white nightgowns were angels i gasped rubbing my palms on my knees the librarian just nodded of a sort and they turned on him what went wrong and and they were all making for sure what's going to happen if they get into town The librarian smiled again, and I swear, he was more gaunt and cadaverous than usual. Almost like I could see a skeleton grinning back at me from behind the old oak desk. Now, don't
0: you worry about that, they won't be
1: making any trouble in town. I see, because somebody snagged them all up out of the water with a big ice hook threw them in his sack, I said slowly, letting the implications sink in. Every last one of them. Every last one of them. In the sack, I asked, my lip curling in disgust. Disposed of. He said firmly, in a whole new tone of voice that implied in the firmest tones that no further questions on the subject of the sack would be tolerated. And? He continued in his usual warm, half-amused drawl, I'd say you owe my associates
0: a nice gratuity for their assistance in taking such good care of you when
1: you came ashore last night in a state not quite yourself, (laughs) the librarian said with that chuckle of his, and I could see he was delighting in tossing me another scrap of wisdom about the scene I'd landed myself in. Those old codgers are your associates? Why, yes. They keep an eye on things for me,
0: help out where they can like they'd been keeping a close eye on the doings of those
1: packets, and they saved your hide. Would I be too far off the mark if I suspected your associates weren't exactly what they appeared to be? I said, bristling with my own daring and bravado at poking the librarian and surmising a thing when it hadn't been offered. By Jupiter! <laughs> I do
0: believe he's beginning to catch on!
1: The Private Collector was created by Aaron Vleck and Daniel Foytek, and features The Librarian, created by Nelson W. Piles. Music for The Private Collector was provided by Nico Vitese of We Talk of Dreams. Today's episode featured the voice talents of Daniel Foytek, Nelson W. Piles, and Addison Peacock. For more information, show notes, and links, find us online at thewickedlibrary.com and follow us on Twitter at The Wicked Library.